And so, as you know, we've been going through the Beatitudes. Past couple of weeks, we looked at blessed are the poor in spirit. We dug into that. Last week, we looked at blessed are those who mourn, for they should be comforted. We looked at that. Now, today, we'll look at the next Beatitude, the meek. The meek. So with that said, let us just pray first, and then we'll, we'll dig into it. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we need your spirit power working inside of us, God. Outside of your, your Holy Spirit illuminated scriptures, God, we're just looking at words. We need you to illuminate them, God. Ring in our spirit, Lord, that we may understand them with truth. God, that we may come to see you just a little bit more clearer, God. That we may see the beauty of who you are, the wisdom that you have, God, the riches of your word. So, God, I'm praying for my brothers and sisters that are out here. Jesus, illuminate their minds. God, allow your word to go forward and touch that place that only you know they know. So we just thank you for being so gracious. Thank you for commanding men to write your word down so that we can read it and see your face. God, we thank you for this moment. Help us to see you clearly. Help us to grow in our wisdom and understanding of you and who you are. Jesus, we plead. Amen. Right. So the Beatitudes. So the previous two Beatitudes that we looked at, blessed are the poor in spirit. By the way, I'm sorry, we're in the Beatitudes. I should tell, I know we have some visitors here. So we're in the Beatitudes. That's what we've been studying. Uh, we're on the, the third Beatitude, blessed are the, uh, the meek. And so the past couple of weeks, we've been going over each one week by week. So the previous two Beatitudes that we looked at, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those that mourn. Remember, those deal with our deficiency. We actually don't have to do anything actually to carry out those qualities because we are naturally, we are like that because of our sinful condition. We're poor in spirit because we have been separated from God. Uh, we should mourn. We should mourn. So there's nothing we actually have to go out and do to get that quality. It's because of our sinful condition puts us in that place. We just have to breathe and acknowledge our sinful condition standing before God. Also, with these two previous Beatitudes, remember, Jesus does something unique. I mean, this teaching that we're looking at here, the Beatitudes, this is really radical teaching. This is really radical, radical teaching that Jesus has here. Because in these pre -two, uh, pre uh, these two previous Beatitudes, Jesus is turning what the world perceives as a weakness, poor in spirit, to be poor, to mourn. He's turning what the world perceives as a weakness into a virtue. So that's that's huge. That's huge for us. That's huge for the people that were hearing it. He's turning something weak that the world thought to something that is a virtue, something righteous, something holy, something good. But in the Beatitude today, it deals with our interactions with others. And that's the difference between this Beatitude and the previous the previous dealt with just us and our, and our sinful condition and our standing before God. But this beatitude deals with our relationship, our interaction with others. Because as you will see, meekness, you cannot be meek by yourself. You have to be meek towards someone or something. Which tells you that God is not an advocate for isolationism. Or people that just want to be loners to themselves. 
So you can't carry out these beatitudes by yourself. They are meant to be lived out in community in the church in the world where you let your light shine. So let's just let's go over this, this scripture, this verse, Matthew 5, 5. And it reads, blessed are the gentle. Some of yours, probably most translation will say gentle. But now that I've researched this word, I'm in love with this word meek now. So so the word that you're looking at, that's gentle in Greek. It's really it's pros, which is meek. So blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. So remember what, what's happening here. This is Jesus. He has a crowd of people on him. He's, he's on a mountain and he's starting off his sermon with these beatitudes. Remember, beatitudes just means blessings, blessedness. So he's describing what blessings, what blessedness looks like. And these blessings, these qualities that he's describing are qualities that those who belong to the kingdom of God will possess or should strive to possess. So, I mean, just really think about this. What's happening here? You have Jesus, who is God in the flesh, God walking on earth. He is describing to us people. He's telling us the type of people here on earth that will make up his kingdom to come. See, we sometimes wonder, particularly when it comes to funerals, what type of people will go to heaven Who are those people that will be there? How how will they look? What will it be like? Well, what's revealed in scripture is that those who will be a part of the new heavens, new earth are those who have been reconciled to God through Jesus. And those that are in Jesus who have received the reconciliation will possess these qualities, these traits that we're looking at here in the Beatitudes. And today that that trait or quality is meekness. Meekness is a trait that the born again believers should possess or strive to possess in their own self to show that they are children of the light, children of the kingdom of God. So if meekness is this quality that we should strive for, that we should want to be a part of our life, then the thing that we should first ask is, what does it mean to be meek, right? If this is something that I should know or that should be a part of me, I should really have a good understanding of what it means to be meek. So that should be our first question. What does it mean to be meek? The next question should be, do I possess this quality or trait? Do I possess it? See, as we go through these beatitudes, you should be examining yourself. You should be examining yourself to see, do I possess these things? The Apostle Paul tells the the church in Philippi that they should work out their salvation, which basically means to show that you truly have come to know God through Jesus Christ and have been redeemed by the way that you live. So if you say that you have been born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, then your life should reflect so. And if you look at your life and you realize these traits are not in it and it's missing, then maybe there needs to be some repentance. Maybe there needs to be some confession of sin taking place. Maybe there needs to be some pleading and mourning to God to help me to be obedient to you and your word. So our first question again, meekness. What is it? Meekness in our society, in our culture, it often takes on a, on a weak term. When you, when you call somebody weak, you're kind of saying it in a pejorative sense. You're, you're being negative. You're saying you're not really strong. We're saying, oh, this person here is weak. And, but here's the thing. 
That's not really what meekness means. That's just what it has come to mean in our society. See, in our Bible, there's, there's a translation issue. Our Bibles often translate meekness as gentle. I'm sure that most of your Bibles say gentle. Blessed are the gentle. But to just say that meekness means gentle is really to restrict the word. Because this word, um, that's, that's the Greek, which is pros, it, it has such a, a deep meaning. It, it goes beyond than just being humble and mild, but it, it has such a rich meaning that you can't just call it gentle. And so to understand this word, we first must understand what did the audience that Jesus was speaking to, the people on the mount, how did they understand the term when he said, blessed are the meek or the pros? How did they come to know what he was talking about? What did they believe that he meant? How did they use the term that Jesus is using? See, we can't go and use our understanding of a word and apply it to scripture. We got to go back in the scripture and put ourselves in a place and time. We got to put ourselves on that mountain where Jesus is sitting there preaching to get an understanding of what this word means when he says, blessed are the meek. So back in this time, just like America, we're an English-speaking society. The society this time was a Greek-speaking society, so they spoke Greek. And so the word, as I mentioned, that they would use for meekness is prous. Now, prous, the, the meaning of this word, it, it was kind of defined by the subject that it was describing. So, for example, women and slaves, like during this time, centuries ago, um, women and slaves were often associated with this word meekness. So one way of using meekness was to describe a servant or someone in a sub-servant position. That's how you would describe meekness. So slaves were thought to be good slaves in the society if they were meek. That means they were submissive. And that's how they also, I'm sorry women, but this is how the society treated women. You were thought to be a good, good wife if you were just extremely submissive. And so they would say, oh, she's meek. So that was considered a virtue for a woman during this period that she would be really meek, meaning really submissive. So that was one way that they would use this word prous in Greek. It was to describe someone in a subservient position. But it wasn't just the, the, the slaves that took on this term. It was also used to describe emperors and kings and those of the nobility. So if you wanted to describe a king or an emperor, you would call him meek if he was real nice and gentle to his subjects and compassionate as opposed to being like a tyrant. So as opposed to being this just mean, angry tyrant, if he was more compassionate to his subjects, they would say he's a, a meek king. For example, it's recorded in history. There's this guy named Isocrates. He's this wise, older guy, and he was giving counsel to this young king of the um, of uh, he was a young king of Cyrus. And when he was giving counsel to this young king, Isocrates counseled this young king to make the punishment of those who had broken the law less than the offense. You understand that? He, he was counseling him to be meek. He said, be proud, be meek and make the punishment of the offender less than the offense. So when it came to a king. Meekness meant being a person in authority and not exercising your full power and authority on a person who actually deserved it. You were considered to be meek, a meek king. Another example is during the Jewish revolt of 66 to 70 AD, um, the emperor Titus 
when he was going against the Jewish people and they were they were revolting, he told them that if they surrendered, then he would treat them like a meek household manager who punishes those who doesn't reform and allows those who does reform to come along in and not get their judgment. So again, you see in these two circumstances, the king or the emperor was considered to be meek if he didn't give the people the punishment, the harsh punishment that they deserve. But he was actually nice and kind. They would say, you have a a meek king. Another way to that meekness was used during this time. It, it was used to describe uh, uh, a family member that refused to scold another family member that brought shame to the family name. So, for example, remember the prodigal son? Remember the brother in that? He was not meek. See, he was the opposite of meek. Remember, he was mad because the brother went and brought shame to, to his name. See, he wasn't meek. He would have been meek if he would have been more forgiving and more loving and not really scolding. See, that would have been meek. And so that was another way during this time in the Greek culture how they use meek. It was for a family member who's brought shame and you really didn't chastise them. And another way how, how meekness was used in the society, it was it was used to describe the propensity of a person to get angry real quick. So, for example, the great Socrates, a philosopher, he described meekness as being the medium between two extremes, one being uncontrolled anger and the other one being indifference. So a person, for example, that, that's quick to get angry, to snap, that person is low in meekness. So if you ever see people that's just, you, you see people that you're in drive, you're in a drive through and they're just blowing their horn. They're just getting mad. See, that person is low in meekness. He has no control over his anger. His anger just gets the best of him. See, he's lacking in meekness. And one of the other uses, I mean, there's more uses, but I'm going to just stop here. The, the, one of the other uses for meekness was in the um, medicinal community. Well, you had a medicine. You didn't want your medicine too strong and you didn't want it too weak. You wanted it just right or mild. And they would call that prowse, which is meekness. So when you add up all of these terms, all of these different cultural connotations of meekness, though they may be um, like different. The question we will want to ask ourselves then is which one was Jesus referring to when he said, blessed are the meek, right? We just went over a bunch of different meeknesses, meeknesses with medicine, meekness when it comes to anger, meekness when it comes to rulers, meekness when it comes to family members. Which meekness was Jesus referring to when he said, blessed are the meek, right? Because we, we, we want to know that so we can examine it for our own life to see if we possess it. But before we do that, we must understand which one of these meeknesses should we be striving to pursue? Which one of these meeknesses should we be prescribing or pursuing to put on? The question or the answer to the question is all of them. All of those meeknesses are the ones we are to pursue and, and go after and that we should be possessing. Why do I say this? Because Jesus Christ God on earth, he exhibited all of them in his life here on earth. All of those aspects of meekness, Jesus showed while he walked this earth. And if Jesus Christ is our example, then he is the one that we want to be like. Let me show you what I mean by this. Let's start with his incarnation. 
Philippians chapter 2, 5 to 7. Go there with me real quick. Let's see if we can see all of these meeknesses in here. Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 7. This is what Paul tells the church in Philippi. He says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of man and being made in the likeliness of man. So said he had existed in the form of God. So you got to think about this. Before the foundation of the world, you had the triune God, the Godhead, and they had a plan to redeem a, a people. And the second person of the Trinity, the Son, comes to earth to be that redeemer. And when he comes to earth, he doesn't go around claiming his God-given rights. He doesn't go around raising that banner and stopping to say, this is me, this is me. But what does he do? The scripture says he, he comes and takes on the form of a servant. That's, that's the, see, see, Jesus Christ by doing that, he, he's been the ultimate meek person. He doesn't come here raising his rights, but he comes as a servant. He says that he didn't think equality with God as something to be grasped. See, what that means when he says something to be grasped is like this. Imagine if a dignitary, right, came to this house. I was going to use, well, I'm going to say his name. I know it's a lightning rod, but it's Donald Trump, okay? Just stick to my analogy, all right? I'm not trying to get nothing started here with nobody, okay? Yeah, I probably shouldn't have used Donald Trump, especially with this, with this example I'm about to do. But don't take it that way. It's just I'm trying to get make a point here. So imagine the president of the United States or some famous dignitary walked into this door. Pastor Brian greets him. Let's say it's a queen or a king from an island. He greets him and they sit down. And, and then Pastor Brian says, hey, Mr. King or queen, can you go clean the poop of in the backyard of my dog? Can you go clean the poop? And that dignitary, that queen or king or that president would be like, what? I am the president of the United States. I am the king of this island. I am this. See, when they do that, they are grasping at their title. They're saying, this is who I am. That's not what Jesus did. That's what this verse is saying. He didn't come around doing that. He took on the form of a servant. He humbled himself. And remember, one way of describing meekness is a person submissive to another. He comes and he submits himself to his father, where his whole point of life is to do everything that the father says, to do the father's will. So he has been the ultimate meek servant. Do you see that? Jesus Christ has been the ultimate meek servant by doing this. Taking on the form of a bond servant, submitting himself, not claiming his rights, but just doing the father's will. And guess what? And you and I, as followers of him, we are supposed to take on this quality as well by submitting our life to Jesus as Lord and King. See, we are to be those meek servants unto God. That's what Jesus said. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. See, denying himself, why? Because the self does not want to take up a cross. The self does not want to do that because that means pain. That means it's something that's going to be uncomfortable. The self doesn't want to do that. See, the self wants to be God. It wants to be the leader. It wants to be the head. 
Isn't that what's got us in trouble in the first place with Adam and Eve? See, look, they weren't happy with their subservient position. They wanted to be like God. They weren't happy with this position. They weren't being meek, but they wanted to be the head. They wanted to be the leader. So following Jesus, it it means that we have to be meek servants. We have to be meek servants in a world that tells you that it's all about you. And not only is it all about you, but we have this human nature, this flesh that screams for leadership, that screams for, I want to do me. I want to do what I want to do. See, one of the other meanings behind meekness are the other ways that they used it during this time period. It was to describe someone who was taming a wild animal. So imagine you have a stallion, right? You have this, 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 this stallion, this wild horse, and it's bucking and bucking. And a person would consider this animal meek when it has calmed down. You're getting that power under control. And see, we have to bring this flesh, this power into submission. We have to bring it to this place of meekness and submission unto God. Just like we're taming that wild animal, just like that horse that they would tame, that horse would bring its power down into submission of its of its ruler to where the ruler says go and the horse goes to where the ruler says kick and turn. The horse kicks and turns. See, that horse has now become meek. He has been brought into submission. And that is what we are supposed to be as followers of Jesus. Meek, bringing ourselves into submission. Jesus also demonstrated the brotherly love type meekness while he was here on earth. The brotherly love that deals with a family member that doesn't scold another family member for messing up the family name. Remember God in Israel, how Israel was God's chosen people, how God was going to use Israel to show his light to the world, how he was going to do great things in Israel to draw the world to themselves. But what happened? Israel rebelled. And at the time that Jesus was walking the earth, Israel was apostate and had given into the culture. But what happens when Jesus comes to earth? How does he respond to that family member that has brought shame on the family name? What does he do? He does not scold them, but he calls them to repentance. And he goes around blessing them and removing their infirmities and, and tell them that your sins have been forgiven. See, he is meek in this matter. He's not scolding. He's not saying all of these ne- negative and mean things about him. But he's saying, no, I'm offering forgiveness. Forgiveness. He is being that meek brother. Matter of fact, when he has his disciples sent out in Matthew chapter 10, who's he telling them to go to? The lost sheep. What? The house of Israel. That's where he sent them to. And what do they do? Do they go and scold and condemn? No, they go and bless. He tells them they heal to rebuke demons and all of that. See, he is being this meek brother. As opposed to scolding like we would want to do when somebody, if one of our, our brothers or sisters goes out and messes up the family name and becomes this and that, we want nothing to do with them. We want, we're going to talk about them. We don't want to, they can come knock on our door. We're going to act like they ain't there. If we see them calling that black sheep of the family, we want to press the, the ignore button, but no, Jesus is that meek, meek brother. And not only is Jeek the meek brother, is he the, the meek brother, but more than any type of meekness that he exemplifies. He exemplifies the meekness of a king or a ruler. I want you to think about this. Romans 
says that we are enemies of God. Romans, the Bible says that we are enemies of God. You and me, because of our sin, are we were enemies of God. You and me with our lying, with our cheating, with our lusting, with our sexual immorality, with our addictions, all of that, that was enemy of God behavior. So the Bible says we are enemies of God. And when you are king and ruler in this world, what is the status quo? What do you do to people who are your enemies? You destroy them. That is the status quo of society. You destroy your enemies. You destroy those who rebel on you. But when Jesus Christ comes, God in the flesh, the king called from the foundation of the earth, when that king comes, he doesn't destroy his enemies. He offers them a new life. And not just a new life, he offers them eternal life. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's not what you tell your enemies. That's, that's, you don't come and tell your enemies, I'm coming so that you can have rest. You, you tell your enemies, according to the world, according to the status quo, that I am going to destroy you for going against me. I'm going to just rip you to shreds, to pieces. See, that is what the world tells you that you say, but Jesus Christ doesn't do that. He comes and tells us, the enemies of God, the sinners, the one who have rebelled against God, come unto me, come unto me, and I will give you rest. And then he says, the latter part of that verse, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He says, for I am gentle. Remember that word gentle is really meek, pros. He says, I am meek. Remember this meek word. And lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Is that what you tell your enemies? Is that what you tell those who rebelled against you? See, that is the beauty of God. We are these rebels, and he's coming with meekness. Not giving us what we deserve. He's being that meek king. He's not giving us what we deserve for a punishment. He's coming and offering a second chance. He's giving us life. That's meekness. That's the ultimate meek king. And look what else the scripture says about Jesus, the meek king in Matthew 21, verse 1 to 5. Let me read it to you. It says, when they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Vesage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village opposite of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a coat with her untie them and bring them to me if anyone says anything to you you shall say the lord has need of them and immediately he will send them this took place to fulfill what was spoken to the prophet verse 5 he says say to the daughters of zion to the daughter of zion behold your king is coming to you meek yours may say gentle this is pros meek Mounted on a donkey, even on a coat, the foal of a beast of burden. So when Jesus rides into town on a donkey, it's to fulfill this Old Testament prophecy about the coming of the meek king. This king that is not coming with a sword, not, not with vengeance. He's not coming with fire in his eyes to destroy his enemies, but he's coming as this meek king, this meek king who's slow to anger, quick to forgive, not to give the offender truly what they deserve, like Titus did. 
Or like Isocrates was counseling the young king in Cyprus not to give them the punishment that their offense really deserves. That is what Jesus is doing. He's riding in town as this meek king. But we also know that when he returns, he's not returning as a meek king, but he's returning with a sword to carry out judgment on all those who don't know God and who don't obey the gospel, according to 2 Thessalonians 1.8. So when Jesus says blessed are the meek, we must understand that it is the meek who are slow to anger. It is the meek that are quick to offer co- compassion and forgiveness after being offended. To be meek is to be humble. To be meek is to be gentle. To be meek is to be submissive. And as I mentioned earlier, these beatitudes deal with our relationship with others. You cannot be meek and carry these things out by yourselves. So in our lives, when it comes to someone who has offended us, we have to be these meek people. Even though we may have every right to get mad at them, even though we feel like, no, what they did was wrong and they deserve to be treated a certain way. No, we must be meek. Offering forgiveness, compassion, even to those who have offended us, as opposed to showing wrath, but showing love. Even though we have the power to destroy this person for what they did, for what they said. No, we're choosing not to do that, but we're choosing to be meek to show this compassion and love. I I love this story of my, my childhood pastor, my pastor in high school. He gave this great example that still sticks with me today when I look at meekness. And he talked about how he was unemployed one time for a while. And, you know, he's bad because he's a man. He wants to take care of his family. And I so get that. And his wife is working, but he's not working. So he's sitting at home and they go out to eat one day. And they're eating. And after his time, you know, to pay for the bill. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. And he has no money. And what his wife does, she slides the money to her husband and she lets him pay. And he described how with one word, she could have destroyed him. Look at you. You can't even pay for a dinner. You sad, man. Look at me. I'm taking care of us. I'm paying for the food. With with one word, she could have destroyed his pride. With one word, she could have just destroyed their marriage. But she chose to be meek. Even though she could have, she said, here, honey, she slid him the money. And when the check came, she allowed him to pay. So that's meekness. That's meekness. It's this power under control. Even though I can do something, I'm choosing not. Because I'm thinking about the other person before myself. That's meekness. But with this meekness, there is a promise for those who are meek. Because Jesus says, blessed are the meek, but he also says that there's a promise that they get. It says that they will inherit the earth. Inherit the earth. So in addition to this meekness flowing out of the born again believer's heart by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, Jesus also gives that meek persons an incentive, if you will, and I hope that's too not strong of a word, or an encouragement to seek meekness. Because it is God who's going to work in you to do this thing. So yes, it's the Holy Spirit, but he gives us this encouragement in this, in his word to pursue meekness. And that encouragement is they will inherit 
the earth. They will inherit the earth. So what does that mean when he says that the meek will inherit the earth? Which you must first understand that Jesus, when he says that, he's quoting Psalms 37, 11. Psalms 30, 11 says, but the meek shall inherit the earth. He's just adding a, a blessing to it. He's called it now that that Psalm, Psalms 37, 11 now gets blessing status. It gets put in the Beatitudes. Remember, there's only eight or nine, however you count of Beatitudes. So that Psalms 37, 11 now gets added to the Beatitudes. But what you must understand, even with Psalms 37, 11, is that in the Old Testament, to inherit the land, it was like the ultimate blessing. It was like the it, it was the ultimate blessing for the righteous. It was the thing that like in, in the G, in the Jewish Hebrew um, eschatology, it was kind of like their, their heaven. It was the one thing that you were striving for. And so oftentimes when you look at the scriptures, you'll always see that the righteous will inherit the land or their descendants will inherit the, inherit the land. And they were talking about the literal land, the land of Canaan, the promised land. That was like their heaven. That was their ultimate thing, their ultimate ro- reward. It was the place where all blessings would flow. And so that's why if you look at Psalms 37, 11, go there real quick. I want to show you something. Psalms 37, 11. We all here? So Psalms 37, 11, he says, but the humble... Or meek, it's the same word. This word that you see in your Bible that says humble, it's the same Greek word, pros. In the Septuagint, which was the Greek translation of the Old Testament, they translate the Hebrew word, the Hebrew word for meek with pros, which is the Greek word that we're using. So that same word, humble, pros, it's the same word you see in Matthew 5, 5 and all throughout the New Testament. Same words. So it means meek. That's why I'm like, translators, come on, do me a little better. But all right. So, blessed are the meek, I mean, but the meek will inherit the land. Now, I want you to go back up to verse 9. Same chapter, look what he says here. For evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord, look, they will inherit what? The land. See, are you seeing this little pattern here? Let me show you another one. Um, Psalms 25, go there. Turn a few more pages. Psalms 25, verse 12 through 13. Look what he says. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Who will instruct him in the way he should choose? His soul will abide in prosperity and his descendants will what? Inherit the land. Do you see how the righteous, that is the ultimate blessing they don't get? It's the, it's the heaven. It's the ultimate thing. It's the land, the land. Proverbs. Let's look at Proverbs. Proverbs 2.22. I'm sorry, I said 22, 21. It says, for the upright will live in the land. Here goes our land. And the blameless will remain in it. 
all throughout the Old Testament, you're going to see the land being the focal point, the, the aim, the target, the goal, the thing that they're striving for. It is what you get for being righteous. It is what the meek get. It's what they inherit. It's the, the land. It becomes like the ultimate prize, the land. I, I kind of think of it like this. I don't know if some of you are football fans, but um, doing a Super Bowl, when the winning team, you know, it's a few seconds left and it's a few seconds ticking down and the reporter goes to the winning team. They're all jubilant on the sideline. They're dancing. And I remember it was, I think it was the 96 Super Bowl. Um, the 49ers were playing the Chargers and they went to Joe Montana and they went to Steve Young and Jerry Rice. And they're like, Steve Young, Jerry Rice, what are you going to do now that you've won the championship? And a common saying is that we're going to Disneyland. Disneyland was like the ultimate achievement for all of their hard work during the season. It was the one thing they were like striving for. And that becomes the common saying when somebody wins a championship, where are you going? We're going to Disneyland. See, that was kind of like the Old Testament. The, the, the land was this thing that they were striving for. That is what they wanted. It was, this, it was the promised land. It was the land of Canaan. That is what they were striving for. So when it says the, the, the meek will inherit the earth, they were thinking of a literal earth. But we know that with Jesus, he was going beyond just a literal earth. But Jesus was talking about the new heavens and new earth that we looked at here on the uh, earlier today. He was going beyond just the land, the promised land. But he was going to the new heavens, new earth that the righteous and the meek will inherit. And this verse in Matthew 5, 5, the meek shall inherit the earth. It actually gives us some insight into what heaven will be like. It gives us some insight into what heaven will be like. And the reason I say that is because of this. In Revelations 21, we get a description of the new Jerusalem, the new heavens and new earth, right? In Revelations 21, you have new Jerusalem coming down out of the sky. We even get the dimensions of the city. We get the dimensions of the wall. We get here that the streets are paved with gold and, and all of those things. But think about what Jesus just said. He said that the meek will inherit the earth, not just a city, so to speak. But the earth is something that's vast and large and huge. So, so th this city, and, and I know we're getting too, so, into some speculation here, but how I understand it, and I know this is at least one of my professors, how he explained it, it makes sense, is that this new Jerusalem that's coming down, it's kind of like your, your downtown city center where you have. But the whole earth, this new earth, the whole thing is, is heaven, so to speak. It's not just the, the city that we're seeing coming down in Revelations, but it's the whole earth, this new purified earth, the old earth burning up. And now we're getting this whole new glorified earth. And you have like this city center where, where the new Jerusalem is coming down. So it gives you a different way to kind of look at what heaven could potentially look like when he says that the meek will inherit the earth. That it's not just this city, but it's the whole entire globe, this purified earth. Some people say we're going back to Edom before the fall and, and the beauty of what it would be. And so he's given us some some insight into this new heavens and new earth. And that gives us an incentive when we're subduing our anger to our brother who we feel that like who really deserves it or when we're bringing ourselves into submission to God or when we're caring for that person that maybe we're so mad about. See, this gives us an incentive to continue to pursue meekness because we know we have this great inheritance waiting for us. 
See, that's the beauty. See, that is why the, that is how the meek are encouraged. Yes, I can be meek. Yes, I can allow you to do these mean things to me and I not respond because I know I have something greater coming. See, this inheritance is an incentive to keep going, to keep pursuing, even when it gets hard, even when I don't want to forgive. I know that I have something coming. It is like this incentive that keeps me going. It keeps me ticking because I see the glory of God coming. See, meek. To be meek, you must keep your mind on things above, on the things that are coming when you're enduring these things that are causing you to be meek. So it acts as an incentive. See, believers, you got to understand, you are so rich. Your inheritance is the whole entire entire earth, the scripture says. That's yours. Those who are meek, it, it's yours. See, look, if I told you that Bill Gates... Or someone said, hey, I was in Bill Gates' house and I found your name on his will. You would be ecstatic, right? <laughs> you would be like, what? Microsoft? Billions are coming to me. I have this great inheritance. See, we have something better than Bill Gates. See, that money will burn up. That money won't buy you the peace of God. That money won't give you the joy of God. But we have this eternal inheritance that will go out forever. Where we'll be forever with God. We'll be forever with Jesus. And guess what? All of the earth will be ours. We will own it. It's not like you just go to somebody else's property and you say, no, you can't step on my property because I own this. No, this will be all of ours. You have a bigger inheritance than what Bill Gates can offer. So be meek. Pursue meekness. Paul tells Timothy in uh, 1 Timothy uh, 6.11, he tells him to pursue meekness. Or it says gentleness. Remember the translation thing? It's the same Greek word, prowse. He tells him to pursue meekness. So, brothers and sisters, the same thing for you. Pursue meekness. Pursue this as a representative of the kingdom of God. You have an eternal inheritance. It's yours. Examine your life to see, am I being meek? Because if you pursue this meek thing, Jesus says you're blessed. The meek are blessed. Favored by God. So don't let this just be a regular reading of scriptures of something, oh, I just read. But no, you strive to put this thing on. You're going to encounter some challenges of people that do you wrong, who you can just go off on. But we're going to remember, no, I want to be like Jesus. When they reviled him, he didn't revile back. They spit on him, he didn't spit back. Matter of fact, oh, this just came to me. Let me go here real quick. Isaiah. Uh, 42. 42, that's what I'm at. Thank you, wrong chapter. There you go. 42.3, there we go. I, I had the verse, but I just like, where is it at? There we go. The servant. Where it says, a bruised reed he will not break. A dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. A bruised reed is, is a reed that's already like bent and broken and already damaged. And it's saying that Jesus Christ is serving. He's not going to damage that reed. He's not going to bring more, more drama, more trials to this reed. He's not going to be this harsh person, but he's going to be meek. Remember, that's kindness. The wick, 
You ever seen those wick that's just about to go out? It's just flickering. It's only a little bit of stuff in there. It's been so defeated and down, so to speak. And he's not going to extinguish that person. That's going to go fire. That's about to burn out. But he's, he's, he's this kind, gentle, meek servant coming. Not to, to bring judgment and do all these different things, but he's being this, this meek servant. We got to be like Christ. Put this meekness on, my brothers and sisters. Put it on. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for giving us the example. God, we thank you for being that meek king, Lord. We didn't deserve this. We were enemies of you, God. But in your love, in your meekness, God, you didn't give us that judgment that we so deserve. But you offered grace to us, Lord God. You offered your son up for your enemies. People who spit on you, turn their back towards you. You are so kind. You are the ultimate meek king, Lord God. We thank you for our grace, for that grace that has come to us. God, our desire is just to live that out, to bring your kingdom to earth by being these meek lights, these meek individuals wherever we go. Holy Spirit, keep working in us. Keep doing that sanctifying work in us. God, bring in that meek spirit, that meek heart inside of us. God, that the world may see that there's something different, that these people possess something, God, that I don't have. Lord, let them see the meekness, that qualm, meek spirit that is represented of you. So God bless your people, Jesus, by showing us how to live meekly, because you said it is blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.